Hi, I'm Susan Smitten, and I'm thrilled to be launching this podcast for everyone out there who's wondering just what we talk about when we talk law in this country. More than 10 years ago, I founded this organization called RAVEN, stands for Respecting Aboriginal Values and Environmental Needs. We work at the intersection where human rights, colonial law, Indigenous legal frameworks, and environmental justice meet. If you're like most Canadians, you're wondering just what lies beneath the sound bites and the social media sparring when it comes to the uprising across the country and around the world of solidarity with Wet'suwet'en peoples. These are complex issues, but what an important moment to get informed, dig in, and find ways to act in meaningful solidarity. In this episode, you'll hear a conversation between Ravens Board President Jeff Nichols, Indigenous lawyer and a member of Lox Quilom's Nation on BC's North Central Coast, as well as a practicing lawyer at Ratcliffe & Company. He's in conversation with Shoshona Kish, founder of the Indigenous Music Summit and one of the originators of We Are the Stronghold, a movement of musicians, artists, and allies working together in solidarity to support the legal challenges of Wet'suwet'en hereditary leadership. Welcome everyone to all of our listeners out there. We're here today on beautiful Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh territory. We're going to have a conversation about a bunch of you know, burning questions that I think we're all thinking about right now. My name's uh, Jeffrey Nichols. I'm the uh, board president of Raven and I have with me uh, Shoshona. I'm uh, my name is Shoshona, that's how most people know me, but um, I'm Eagle Clan from Batchawana and I'm Ojibwe Anishinaabe. So we're at uh, Yelltown Roundhouse Community Centre and Shoshona, I understand that you're doing some cool stuff here. What are you doing here? I'm here for the Talking Stick Festival and uh, my band Digging Roots is here playing tonight. Yeah, we just, uh, we're, you know, I obviously wanted to come and support this festival and be a part of this community because there's so many beautiful things happening here, which was, you know, the initial reason to, like, be out here. But now there's so much going on in the world. I feel like I'm here with a very clear purpose alongside of, you know, just the celebration of community and that strength. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I understand that, you know, when you're out here, you really wanted to connect in with, with Raven and you're just finding ways to support the organization and support you know the broader initiative and movement what are you up to well i mean i feel like we're helping each other out <laughs> i'm pretty sure that's what's going on and i really appreciate that you know i think uh, for us out east we've been uh, the community has been really uh, looking at how we can stand in solidarity with what's happening out here and what's so in territory and because i'm an artist and a musician uh, for me, you know, I thought about raising up those powerful voices of artists um, in, and that's part of our traditional role as well and uh, bring us together to make some noise, essentially. So we're hosting sort of a launch concert this coming Thursday, February 27th with a whole bunch of really beautiful, exciting, brilliant humans. And from there, a number of other concerts are going to light up across Turtle Island and some things are evolving internationally. Um, and we're also working really hard to light up the spaces on social media. So I really just wanted to create a platform for us to raise our voices together and make space because yeah. every, what everybody has matters and we're not powerless. And particularly... Everyone has something to offer. Yeah. yeah. And when we're, you know, and I just feel like we're str stronger together. Yeah. 
was Digging Roots with AK-47, just one of the amazing acts you'll see Thursday night if you're in Toronto. This show is going to be one for the record books, a star-studded lineup of Indigenous and BIPOC musicians at Toronto's Great Hall. Follow hashtag WeAreTheStronghold on social media and sign up to host your own event or online fundraiser to stand with Wet'suwet'en. Visit raventrust.com slash Wet'suwet'en for details. This is Raven Debriefs. Subscribe on iTunes. Well, I think that just because of the way that most of our media is aggregated for us, I, I'm seeing a fairly biased view of, of things and a biased view of the responses to things. So I'm not seeing a lot of like the pushback, but I do know that it exists. You know, I heard a call-in show on CBC Radio that was local a few days ago, and people were really angry about these blockades. And I say it with bunny ears because I know we're using those words, but I actually, I don't know if they're the most effective way to talk about what's happening. Like, I think that what's happening is political protest, which we, and demonstration, which is really something that I think we should defend strongly and be very concerned about beyond this issue. You know, in terms of telling the story and how we continue to look at what's happening, I think the language tends to be misused sometimes to create divisiveness. It's, <laughs> That's almost, what it's I almost like a slur where yeah. you say they're protesters or they're pipeline protesters or they're you know, radicals or things like that, where yeah, it tends to dismiss the legitimacy of what, you know, what they're out there for. Yeah, they're bundling it together with many things, so it's really hard to see clearly what the issue is and why people are standing and what ground they're standing on and by what what the jurisdiction in that space is. I think that those those narratives are all very confused for people right now. So the <laughs> the pushback has really been like, I can't get home from work conveniently, and this is a deep inconvenience. Um, and people are really angry, and they felt really um, entitled to use the word inconvenience in the context of this conversation, which I thought was interesting. Because if I was one of those people, I think that I I would hesitate to use something like inconvenience, which is, to me, not as a mild experience. To be really up in arms about doesn't click for me. So I'm not, I'm not really sure that I understand what that position is. Like I do, un- I do think that anything that makes our lives more difficult in the day to day is, as humans, we can understand. But whenever the, you know, we, I think we're all experiencing things in context and that's where it gets blurry for me. I, I just can't connect the dots the way some people do. So, you know, I just have some really basic questions about like yeah. what the critical issues are, um, not just from the context of Raven and yeah. what your interests in all of this are and how you're supporting and how you're showing up for the work, but as, you know, a collective community, what do you think the core issues that we're looking at here are? First of all, I don't want to comment specifically on the internal politics of the Wet'suwet'en. So I want to preface my comments in saying that, you know, it's, it's really, it's for the Wet'suwet'en to, uh, you know, articulate, you know, what their governance system looks like. So it's, it's not, you know, I'm, I'm not going to speak to that, but I can speak to some of the history around, particularly the Delgmuk decision, you know, the, the Gitsan and the Wet'suwet'en people, they went to court and asserted their Aboriginal title and their Aboriginal rights over a significant part of their territory. And uh, it took years, took significant resources, it took a lot of people's time, elders coming out, and the court even went to people's homes and took testimony and really set the stage and the grounds for putting their best foot forward and proving Aboriginal title and saying, these are the rights we have this is who we are as a people, and this is our territory. That was uh, in the early 90s, the trial. Uh, They actually were unsuccessful at proving title. It was later found in the Supreme Court of Canada that the judge did not adequately consider uh, oral tradition. He didn't didn't put enough weight on it, because of course, as is the case with a lot of nations up there, I'm I'm Simshian, and we we come from a society, and I know that other uh, nations up there are similar, is that our oral traditions really define who we are. And if the judge isn't prepared to consider and, and weigh our oral traditions, then uh, it's very difficult to prove title. And that's really what happened in the, in the context of Delgamuch. But the Supreme Court of Canada said that the trial judge did not adequately consider the oral traditions of the uh, Wet'suwet'en and the Kitsan people. 
and they ordered a new trial. And that, that new trial has, has not happened yet. Just on a, on a personal note, uh, some of my family is Gitsan, and uh, my auntie Alice uh, holds the name Maluluk, which is a uh, house chief name in Gitsan uh, territory. And she actually has uh, all sorts of binders and family history and all of this stuff that was prepared in the context of that uh, litigation because, you know, obviously it's important who you are and, uh, you know, what your territories are and things. And, and I'm sure that's the case with a lot of other families and, and nations up there is that, um, so that's some of the legacy of, of Delgamuk is that, you know, not too long ago, a lot of effort was put in to, uh, you know, establishing Aboriginal title. And of course, obviously, on the legal side, it's technically not established. The court didn't recognize it, but it said, here, have a new trial. And of course, there, I think it's quite common ground that their strength of claim. So, I mean, my very limited understanding of Delgamuk is that is around this oral histories and, and the legitimacy of that and <clears throat> that Supreme Court ruling and that precedence being set for further, uh, or for other um, First Nations to establish the same legal title on those same grounds. Um, but are you saying that the, they were unsuccessful still in, their, in the claim in some way? I'm just familiar with the rulings of the, the court. And in court, the Supreme Court of Canada ordered a new trial on the basis of, um, they didn't make any determinations about uh, whether or not the Gitsan Wet'suwet'en had title. They said, you know, a new trial should occur and it should adequately consider all of the, uh, some of the deficiencies that the court set out. There's a component to these things that are um, not contingent upon recognition by Canada. You know, like it, when, and I've, I've gone, I've been to the Unistotin territory, and when you stand at the bridge and you do protocol, there's no question in your mind. You feel a very real legal basis for Aboriginal title. You go, yeah, of course it exists. You know, this is what I'm dealing with is Wet'suwet'en title. It's not necessarily a settled question in certain contexts. You know, when you when you look at the Canadian context generally, you know, there's or even as I understand it from an outside perspective, you know, within the Wet'suwet'en themselves, there's these internal dialogues that are happening about you know who has authority over what, and you know ultimately it's. It's, you know, it's, it's according to their own principles that they have to uh, come together as themselves to d decide that. You know, it's, it's not for us as, as people outside to, to be you know, even talking about that or, or making any sort of judgment around that. So can we talk about that for a minute? Because I feel like this is something that I feel like is circulating a lot in my circles and on social media. And it, it's really about I respect that legitimacy and know it to be true, like unquestionably, but I think the average Canadian does not acknowledge that or even have enough information that they might acknowledge it. Sure. Where from a legal standpoint does that sit with the Canadian government and you know when we're saying this is an illegal action and an illegal militarized occupation of what sort of unceded territory, what are the legal grounds when we're saying that in terms of the Canadian colonial government. Uh, what, what I tend to think about in terms, and these are just my own aspirations for where I see opportunities to shape the law. And I think that one of the uh, greatest opportunities that we have right now is the greater recognition of indigenous legal orders in the context of what we would define as Canadian law. Um, you know, it's, it's easy for people to, when they think Canadian law, they think of the uh, French civil law tradition and the English common law tradition, but they tend not to uh, adequately acknowledge our laws are also part of um, this society. You know, uh, you know, when I think of things like, um, you know, the potlatch ban in British Columbia, mm -hmm. where, you know, we, we go to jail for exercising our forms of government. You know, you'd go to, like, they would take away your regalia and they would throw you in jail and they would fine you some inordinate amount of money that you, know, you couldn't pay. And that happened not too long ago you know, in my grandparents' generation. Mm -hmm. And so you know, people, and, and, there's, and we could talk for on and on and on and on of examples of, of really crazy bad stuff that happened. Um, in that regard. And so, and even today, 
you know, we're, I still don't think that we're at a place where we adequately acknowledge and have settled the question of, you know, what does it mean to have Indigenous law in the context of our society? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that um, at least some of those issues are coming to bear mm-hmm. right now. And I certainly don't have answers to a lot of those questions. I think it's something that society has to grapple with. And, mm-hmm. you know, we have to, um, you know, come together on that, all of us. But that's just where I see the, the opportunity coming and, and where we need to do some concerted thinking is about, you know, like how do Indigenous legal orders play a role in solving some of these issues? Mm-hmm. I find that, I, well, and I, I so appreciate just the way that you're talking about this right now because I feel like what you're describing to me is a different way of viewing the application of law than what I normally would think of it in and when I'm talking I'm talking about colonial law sure Um, and what I think most people think of which is this very black and white thing but what you're describing to me is actually much more fluid it's a process and are you saying this is a something that the Canadian government has not yet addressed in terms of their application of law, and that's work that we need to do now. Or... Yeah, no, I, I understand, I understand uh, your, your question, okay. and, uh, and I, I think it's, yeah, it's an exciting topic to talk about. And, mm-hmm. it's, um, and I think that that is a great illustration of the importance of the work that Raven does as an organization. We support Indigenous peoples to articulate their position on specific legal issues or campaigns. So, for example, you know the Trans Mountain Pipeline project. You know we ran a, uh, in, in partnership with other organizations a campaign to assist and support uh, Indigenous groups in expressing their views about and participating in that process of uh, you know here's what we think and, and we don't dictate that and it's not my role um, to. You know, like as Raven, we, we, we don't have anything to do with the, the legal issues even. You know, those are for the communities to decide. But as far as a social movement, and I think that what a lot of, um, you know, our donors care about or, or, the, or the people that come out and volunteer or, you know, the people that just even, you know, follow some of our content and just want to get engaged or educated about these things, you know, they just, they want to see change. They want to see positive change. You, you don't need to know all of it, like these things are really, some of them are quite complicated, right? Like they're, they're very technical and whatever, like those should not be a barrier for your feeling of justice. I think that we should focus and honor our feeling of uh, what is right and what is wrong. And I think that there's a lot of uh, reparation and justice uh, to be done in the context of indigenous people's relationship with broader society right now, because I think that that's at least where I try to engage around this is, you know, I look at the news and I go, this is, this, it doesn't feel good, you know, mm-hmm. like it's, uh, the, that sense of injustice is really there. And I think that that's in a lot of ways why people, you know, want to contribute, right? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I think that that's important to honor. Do you think that the system yeah. as it exists right now can, is set up in a way that can adequately respond to issues of justice as it pertains to environmental and indigenous rights? I, I certainly think that there's lots of opportunities for creating positive change or positive outcomes in that context. I think that engaging with these kinds of actions, these kinds of actions being, let's say, uh, court cases or uh, negotiations or whichever, it's all part of, I think, a plurality of strategies. Where Raven sits, we operate on a, what we call a legal theory of change. So, you know, we take a look at the fact that over the past 50 years or so, let's say, mm-hmm. there's been a number of very landmark decisions of you know, the Supreme Court of Canada that have fundamentally changed the way in which Indigenous peoples are respected and our laws are respected and our communities are respected and it's given us a lot more room to breathe, I think. Mm -hmm. Just from, I think, uh, where Raven is situated, we try to focus our resources on that one particular area 
And of course, there's, there's a million and one different ways to make a positive difference. And, and I'm hopeful in that regard. I, I think that it's, you know, it's incumbent upon all of us to, to make that positive difference wherever we are. But just specifically in terms of you know, maybe believing in that legal theory of change, I think that we've seen an opportunity in particular over the past, let's say 50 years, you know, starting with you know, some of these landmark Supreme Court of Canada decisions and even into you know, overturning the uh, Trans Mountain Pipeline approval with Pull Together and that kind of thing. You know, we've seen uh, tremendous success and using the court system to assert our rights. Because sometimes in the legislative system or political system, you, you may not get that kind of recognition. But certainly in the judicial branch or in the court system um, and through the constitution and the protection and the constitutionalization of our rights, that has at least played, in my view, a positive role in asserting our, as Indigenous peoples, you know, rights or, you know, at the very least has, has allowed us to play defense on some of these initiatives of colonization. Raven Debriefs. Subscribe on iTunes. Being where we are in the world is the front line to some degree, and that is certainly not to take away from uh, community members and leadership that are have been out in minus 40 yeah. with putting their bodies on that line. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I just recognize that that work is work that impacts all of us and uh, gratefully recognize that that work impacts all of us. and. And we will all uh, live the consequences of what comes out of this as a, uh, a greater community. So I, I just, I think that, you know, it's an important time for us to have the conversation about what's happening in our home. Yeah, I think that that, if, if anything, is, has been one of the um, big lessons, at least for me, uh, out of this, uh, these last you know, couple of weeks, is that just how much this is a, a national issue. You know, it's, it's not... It's not isolated. It's not you know something that's happening way out there. It's it's in fact you know it's something that does it affects us all and it's something mm -hmm. that we should all really pay attention to and, and, and care about. Yeah, I'm really thank you for taking the time to talk to me about this. Um, I feel like in some ways you know not being a politician, not being a lawyer, or somebody who's really engaged in policy um, or lawmaking in any direct way. I, I just uh, sometimes. I hesitate to answer some of the questions that are circulating about the, out there about this issue because I don't feel informed enough. You know, it's like as we're launching into this, this sort of collective action around art and music and support, uh, we've been very conscious about this, the story that we want to tell and the story that needs to be told yeah. um, and really wanting to be very respectful absolutely you know about the truth <laughs> and yeah. you know um, and also respectful of the way that we engage talking about this because the misinformation is not helping anybody I think some of the core issues that we're uh, looking at here are um, the fact that Canada still has a lot of work to do to uh, recognize uh, the place of indigenous peoples and just respect that we exist, <laughs> you know, respect the fact that, um, you know, we have a right of self-determination over, um, you know, the things that affect our communities. Um, you know, when you think of concepts like consent and, uh, you know, just, just having, having a say. And, and I think that, um, you know, we've seen, you know, all of these issues are uh, entrenched in a long history of um, a broader context of uh, struggle. You know, of colonization, of discrimination, of uh, racism, 
and you know those those things continue on to today and and I think that you know we're, we're seeing more attention to it but you know to also acknowledge that in the sense that you know these, these are issues that are real all the time you know for uh, you know a lot of people across this country in particular indigenous folks so um, and also just uh, you know being mindful of the fact and, and respectful of the fact that you know it's uh, you know, I think the elephant in the room is, you know, we're, we're talking a lot, uh, the reason having these conversations right now is, you know, about the issues that are going on in Wet'suwet'en territory mm -hmm. and have spilled over into solidarity actions, you know, across this country. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's also uh, important that we acknowledge that, um, you know, we need to make space for the Wet'suwet'en people to, you know, decide things for themselves and, and uh, you know, respect their autonomy mm -hmm. and respect their, their authority and jurisdiction because, you know, from what I understand from a completely outside perspective is, is there are, you know, some questions that they're asking of themselves and, uh, you know, bet between and among their people. And, you know, as, as a First Nations person myself, you know, it's not our, uh, it's not our place or our protocol to, to speak into, you know, what uh, is the business of another First Nation. Mm -hmm. But I think it is important that we focus on some of the broader context of these issues. And, you know, there is, there is a shared experience uh, of colonization among Indigenous peoples uh, in Canada. And, and there's a lot of issues that I think that uh, are coming to bear in, in different ways, and, and I think certainly that uh, you know having a conversation about those is is really constructive, right? And it's just figuring out those pathways to to do that. And you know, it's it's so cool to hear about you know some of the ways that you're doing that, and uh, you know, and, and people all across this country are, are figuring out ways to do that. And even for myself, you know, uh, as as a lawyer, you know, what what is my role in this? And um, you know, how do I you know uh, give my time to you know, Raven, for example, or whatever, and and just just try to make a difference and you know uh, hopefully uh, move things toward a, a better place so uh, you know hopefully uh, you know we, we can have that kind of conversation and uh, share it with our listeners and just kind of bring people under the under the wing or uh, in in the circle of allies the nest you know mm -hmm. things like that so I think for me it's just a matter of like getting word on the street in a really um, accessible way um, and I think for us, we're excited about doing that because we know how powerful music can be yeah. and the transformational space that music can create and, uh, and how many really beautiful artists coming from our communities, from the indigenous community and just the larger community also, just that like spark of creativity and you know, stories are magic. Yeah. So, um, and they tell us like who, who we've been and who we can be and who we are right now and so, I want to make sure that we're telling the most sort of truthful and respectful and um, and like engaging story that we can about this. And the only way I know how to do that is to ask questions about the things I'm most curious about. So can I just like ask you a few things? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I, when we're talking about the right to self determination, yeah, I think for me I understand that this is an inherent right. Sure. Um, and, but there's a legal precedence in terms of the right to self-determination in Canada. Can you talk to about that? Because I feel like the balancing of that on information is something that um, many people are curious about. You know, there are our traditional and hereditary laws that we're um, accountable to as Indigenous nations, sovereign Indigenous nations. Um, but, and then there is a colonial rule of law that is developing around that. I feel like it's it's not fully realized yet. Yeah, I, th I think that um, the concept of self-determination is uh, a complicated one because I think it manifests itself in different ways uh, in the Canadian context. So, you know, we see things like the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. You know, there's uh, one of the rights that uh, is uh, captured in that particular instrument is a right to self-determination. And, uh, you know, we'll see how that, um, you know, is interpreted in the future. And then um, there's also our own legal traditions as Indigenous peoples where, um, you know, we, we have these legal orders and um, they continue to uh, propagate and, and to uh, structure our lives as Indigenous peoples. We've, we've worked so hard to, to keep them alive in the face of residential schools in the face of things like the potlatch ban, um, all sorts of different things that have, uh, you know, served to just uh, try to wipe us off the map. Um, but I think that um, 
you know, we speak about uh, self-determination um, that is contingent on, uh, you know, uh, I think when you boil it down, it's just about uh, indigenous peoples being able to um, put forward uh, and, 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 and be a, a, a people together and to express ourselves both politically and culturally. And that has been interfered with in certain ways, you know, due to colonization and all of that. That's an understatement. <laughs> yeah, it's understatement of the year. And so um, that's, I think, uh, that's at least how I understand the, the concept of self-determination. These things are very uh, contested concepts and, you know, people have different, uh, like reasonable people can disagree about, you know, what, uh, what its content is. So are you saying that law means different things to different people? When we think about, um, you know, like what the law is in Canada, mm -hmm. um, you know, we, I think that people readily recognize the fact that, uh, you know, we think of Canadian law, we often think of, you know, the French civil law tradition and the English common law tradition, but people uh, don't often um, easily associate Indigenous legal orders within that uh, foundation of what we understand the law of our society to be. Because of course for indigenous peoples, it's, it's abundantly clear. Like there's, uh, you know, Simshian legal orders, there's Gitsan legal orders, there's Anishinaabe legal orders, there's all sorts of these legal traditions that have governed our people since time immemorial. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's, um, there's room uh, to uh, evolve our law or understand the law of Canada to include those uh, in a more fulsome way. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's uh, a lot of the work that still needs to happen is that I, I don't think we've solved that question, you know, at least uh, in Canada. Yeah, I feel like the conversation right now is um, people from, and I don't want to say there are only two perspectives, but sort of those clear different perspectives that are coming up um, that are opposed to the action um, by the uh, leadership traditional and hereditary leadership from Wet'suwet'en, and then those who are in, in uh, support of it. So on both sides of that, I've heard people say that the law is being broken. Yeah, and people say, uh, you know, we should follow the rule of law. Well, you know, what is the, the rule of law in this context? You know, you have um, clear articulations of an Indigenous legal order that is you know, as old as time, <laughs> and you also have um, the laws of Canada, which are, you know, set out and, uh, you know, certainly have, you know, force and, you know, that they're uh, coming together in certain ways and people make claims to this is the rule of law and this is the rule of law and, and, and people understand that, I think, in different, in different ways. Can we talk about jurisdiction and then you can run with that? Um, I'm really actually I have real questions about this like yeah, yeah. I have questions about um, federal jurisdiction um, oh, like why would uh, like, what? I why love would, federalism by that I, <laughs> I, I like I like stuff like that right so federal jurisdiction as opposed to provincial jurisdiction why have the OPP been sent in to respond to the CN rail uh, protest in Tyndanaga when it's it's a reserve, so it's federal jurisdiction from my perspective, and it's CN Rail, so it's CN Rail police from that perspective. I don't know what yeah. they call their police force, but yeah, there's like so a why OPP? You know, I, like I just don't understand these things, and um, and I I feel like any any light that you can shed on this for me would be helpful. Yeah, I, one of the most interesting aspects of uh, Canadian politics for me is, uh, and and I'm a uh, kind of a bit of a nerd about this kind of stuff and uh, a lot of our um, politics in Canada is defined by what we call federalism and federalism is a division of power between different levels of government you know whether it be local provincial or uh, federal government and so much of Canadian politics has been you know what is the power of the province what is the powers of the federal government yada 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 and as an indigenous person um, I've actually spent a, uh, you know, a lot of time thinking about, you know, why doesn't this include more of a discussion about, uh, you know, the role of Indigenous peoples in federalism? Because, you know, we have so much debate about 
um, you know, which body has powers over what, and you think it would be quite a natural extension of that discussion to have a conversation about what is the jurisdiction of uh, Indigenous governments within this context of, uh, you know, uh, dividing a power, who has authority over what in our society. So there's so many different kinds of Indigenous governments out there. You know, you talk about self-determination or you talk about nations, there's, uh, you know, an infinite variety of uh, Indigenous governments. You know, some nations in Canada have treaties, some have self-government agreements, some have, in British Columbia, you know, we have, uh, you know, modern treaties or different kinds of uh, governing arrangements, and some have customary governments. Some have, um, you know, band councils under the Indian Act that, you know, operate under customary law. Some have completely traditional governments, and some have a hybrid of all of those things. And ultimately, um, you know, I, I, it's it's for the indigenous peoples themselves to decide what kind of government you know they want for themselves, and to have. I think the relevant question is: Do they have the freedom to decide what kind of governing institution they want for themselves? I think that's really the key to self-determination. Well, and, it, and it's an interesting question because in many cases there are Indian Act chiefs and councils that are have been given the power to. Um, make those decisions on behalf of community and without respect for traditional governance. And there's a big difference. So it, it, I think it's a really interesting question because who's yeah, negotiating? Who, who do we empower to speak on our behalf? Um, and, and I know that's a challenge in, in many Indigenous communities uh, you mm -hmm. know, to figure that out because there is, uh, there's, there's been a myriad of, of challenges that have resulted mm -hmm. from colonization mm -hmm. um, in putting tremendous stress on our governments as Indigenous peoples. You know, like, I think about my own community and I think about how, how important it is for our family units uh, to be intact in order for our governments to be intact. You know, we operate on a, on a house system where, um, you know, houses form tribes and form nations, that kind of thing. And, you know, if you think about something like residential schools, where they take away the children and, and the relationships between the children and the, and the parents are, are, are broken and that you know, translates down through the generations, you know, it has untold harm on um, our governing institutions. And of course, you know, we've, Indigenous uh, governments in, in particular, you know, I'm so proud of how you know, we've been able to adapt and to mm -hmm. um, you know, propagate our, our, our forms of, just our forms of life, you know, our, our, our identity together. You know, in the face of all of these these disruptions, and that's a very beautiful thing. But I think that we're still um, we're still healing from that, and we're still yeah. figuring out ways of um, you know uh, supporting and healing and, and, and putting forward our um, own mm -hmm. governing institutions free from a lot of those those harms that mm -hmm. aren't aren't just historic harms; they're harms that continue to today, mm -hmm. and. And certainly, there's always going to be, um, you know, disagreement and internal debate and dialogue where um, you know people disagree with one another, and that's the beauty of living together in a society. Yeah, you know, and, and indigenous peoples are are, are no different. And mm -hmm. that, you know, mm -hmm. among indigenous groups, there's there's you know different opinions, and 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 I think that the more relevant question is, you know, how do we create a, or propagate or continue to recognize a form of government that you know gives gives spirit and life to that internal process mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, deciding for ourselves, mm -hmm. you know, how, how things are, are, are going to, you know, how we're, how we're going to be together as, as a people mm -hmm. and, you know, even how we're going to relate to other peoples, like in a nation to nation context. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I know that you know, when you look historically and even into today um, and into the future, you know, we have ways of, of recognizing other people, you know, where, where we invite them and we you know, we do protocol and, you know, we, we just come together. Mm -hmm. And those are the things that are, um, you know, just so beautiful and uh, are so inspiring to see. And, and that, quite frankly, I think we need a bit more of, mm -hmm. um, you know, because it's a process of healing. The interesting thing about protocol is that that being a form of law yeah. is that it's about accountability, um, not about like fear-based enforcement. So it's like you would never do something because you know, what would my grandma think, you know? And it's like, I, don't, I would never go out into the world and do something without first considering, you know, what my mother and my grandmother and yeah. my great aunties would think. And, 
And we were just talking about this the other day, uh, yesterday, I think, um, we were talking about these yellow, yellow vest crew. Sure, yeah. And we were like, who are their moms? You know, because I feel like that should, that would help regulate, yeah. you know, if we, there was... We need some the, the pro, aunties in yes, the Yes, the yeah. aunties would just like, you know, sort that out and... And, you know, because I feel like in the larger, any larger community, a, a whole, you know, great diversity of perspectives and opinions is what makes the healthiest and most, um, yeah, just like lights the community up in the most yeah. beautiful way. And this is what we want. But what we're seeing is this level of divisiveness and anger that I don't fully understand. There is a, a large population, although not the majority, of um, like the colonial nation of Canada that uh, is like vehemently opposed to um, indigenous people standing for our own rights. And I just, I find it really, yeah, confusing, yeah. <laughs> you know? And I, and, and I always think, one, you know, somebody needs to call that guy's auntie. And two, yeah. you know, <laughs> I wish that I, I could have a conversation with that person and have the, the um, be like fully armed with all of the uh, with like a good mind, as yeah. you know, um, our Mohawk relatives would say, our Ganyagahega relatives, and be able to just like really speak for what the confusion between us is, and and you know, I, and I think that just being able to come to the issues and really uh, uh, speak to the heart of them rather than like all of this other noise around it would yeah. be really helpful. To share a meal together. Yeah, break break some bread. Or have a feast. It can come full, full circle, yeah. yeah. Totally. Well, and you know, I mean, I think people often, I'm sure, just think that I'm just being idealistic. But isn't this the way things work? Like, don't we, isn't, isn't that the way we have as human beings always done things? Um, so, you know, and I'm, I'm not trying to say this is easily solved by eating a good meal. <laughs> or come together and play music. <laughs> and play music, or by playing a beautiful song. But I yeah. do think that they become um, points of intersection that can change um, the way we move forward together. And so, yeah. you know, I'm really interested in creating all those points of intersection. And I'm really interested in knowing more. Like, I'm just really curious in knowing more about all of the sort of yeah and i think that that's where um you know the work of raven is an opportunity for people to come together mm -hmm. and uh you know like our supporters they might see our campaign and, and they want they want to make a difference mm -hmm. and uh if they want to make a difference on uh you know a better future or for reconciliation or for you know greater uh recognition of indigenous people's rights or that kind of thing like it's really just that that sense of justice, and it's that that feeling of just wanting to connect and, and just wanting to create that that better world. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, it's just really uh, I'm personally really proud to just try to uh, you know water that seed mm -hmm. and to be able to build that uh, you know kind of community and to have you know these kind of courageous conversations and mm -hmm. um, where you know we're able to come together and say you know what are the what are the things we care about mm -hmm. and what kind of things do we want to see in the world mm -hmm. and you know obviously uh, you know at Raven we're dealing with you know quite very specific things uh, you know from our ca campaigns you know we want you know, better environmental laws and you know better uh, indigenous recognition for indigenous rights and things like that and a lot of you know how that works uh, is you know, very technical in the courts but I think that you know why people care about it is much bigger is you know people recognize it to be you know something a lot more fundamental about you know caring for each other in a society and you know caring for our planet and caring for uh, future generations of people and just recognizing that you know we we can't do it alone you know mm -hmm. we can we can do it uh, but we can do it together you know we really can do it together and we're um, not meant to do it alone exactly mm -hmm. yeah and I think that's the point right yeah. is you know we can come yeah. together and, and it's really magic because I think that we, we both understand that, you know, the past that uh, I think we've had in Canada and you know, even some of the current issues, you know, it's, it's, it's not comfortable. You know, I'm not comfortable with it. And, no, you know, well, we should be uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable so yeah. that we can do the work. Some of our music is really topical. Yeah. And, um, and people have a really emotional response to it. And it's like, well, yeah. That's that's what it means to be human together. Yeah. And you, this is an emotional topic, you know. Yeah. And this is why 
we want to tell stories about it because it cuts to the center of our humanity and yeah. we need to be in those truthful, brave spaces together, you know, and I, sometimes, you know, sometimes people are very unhappy with what we say at our concerts and not that often, but... Sometimes, yeah, it happens. And I feel like, well, good, I've done my <laughs> job then, <laughs> you know, like, in, because I feel like if, if, if we're not a little uncomfortable together, then I'm not being brave enough about um, speaking truth and shining a light on the things that are most important for us to work on. And those things are uncomfortable. That's real. Yeah. yeah. And, and what's the alternative? Yeah. You know, doing nothing and, yeah. you know, letting some of these grave injustices propagate because, you know, doing nothing is something, you know, it's, it's a choice. Yeah. It's a sobering history. It really is. And we owe it to ourselves to um, know and understand it, but we also owe it to ourselves to uh, make it different in the future and make sure it never happens again. There's been times in you know, the not so distant uh, past, it was illegal for indigenous peoples to hire lawyers. Um, I think that's something that not very many people know. Yeah, you know, there was a time in my grandpa's generation, my, my grandma's generation, yeah. that if, if you were to become a lawyer, you'd, you'd lose your Indian status. And, um, you know, it's something that I think about every single day as an Indigenous lawyer, and just to never forget that. And I think that, uh, you know, one of, um, you know, Raven's roles is to, is to recognize that legacy. And I think the best way that we can recognize that legacy is to give as much money as we can to Indigenous peoples to help make up the, the ground that we may have lost, <laughs> you know, <laughs> during that time. So, right. yeah. <laughs> so. These histories, you know, I think people want to think about them in the distant past, but they're really like in living memory. Oh, absolutely. Yes. It wasn't that long ago, and these changes are new, and it's, I, you know, and I hope, I hope that the work ahead can be exponentially seeing these kinds of changes come to pass. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it was so nice talking to you and connecting it with you, and uh, I can't wait to see um, what this collaboration, you know, um, bears in the future. And I'm um, so excited, excited. to yeah. um, have, you know, tried to answer some of your questions, and um, hopefully uh, maybe answer some of the questions of our listeners, and um, and and more so just, uh, you know, it's it's a good opportunity, just you know, like we were talking about earlier, just to come together as people and. Mm -hmm. You know, connect with each other, and you know, mm -hmm. just share you know what we're feeling. Because I think that you know, in, in this past few weeks, I've felt a lot of things. You know, looking at the news, and Absolutely. you know, I, I care about what's going on. And um, you know, it's always uh, you know, we can't we can't feel those in isolation. You know, we can't just kind of turn away, and uh, you know, we have to talk with other people about them. So we I really appreciate each that. Other. Yeah, Absolutely. me too. I, appreciate I really appreciate that. So, so thank you so much. <laughs> awesome. Bye, Murphy. Thank you. I'm so easy You like me on the sidelines Hit down quiet Smile cause you're always bright The show today was recorded at the Talking Stick Festival on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. The episode featured Jeffrey Nichols and Shoshona Kish with music from Digging Roots, Kinney Star, and Amanda Rayom, who you hear now with their collaborative song, The Best. show today was produced by Andrea Palferman, sound recording Gary McNutt, editing Rutendo Chabiqua, and hosted by me, Susan Smitten. Let's give the last word in this courageous conversation to Shoshona Kish. Yeah, please come and find one of our events or find us on online. Um, we are posting everything to um, our summit page. It's the International Indigenous Music Summit. Um, and we have a hashtag, we are the stronghold. Um, and it's really, we dreamt that from this idea of like circling the warriors and hereditary chiefs and community um, in protection and support and solidarity. So come find us.